God's word. And as he, Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Read that far in God's word. In our our study throughout uh, chapter 12 of Mark, there have been many standoffs between religious leaders and Jesus. How pleasant it is for us now as we come to the last passage of chapter 12 to find this delightful little story told, which brings a warmer mood to the end of this chapter. The religious leaders throughout chapter 12, and especially the scribes of verses 38 to 40, were a symbol of fake devotion to God. In sharp contrast to that, then, this next section, in distinct contrast, the widow here at the end of chapter 12 was a symbol of true devotion to God. And our main point, if you look in your bulletin, says this, the Lord Jesus reversed the perceptions of the disciples, teaching them that giving is a window into our hearts. Point number one from verse 41, some people make a big production about giving a lot, yet they remain quite comfortable having a lot left over. So here verse 41 shows the scene that Jesus had sat down opposite the treasury where the collection boxes were. There were 13 boxes, kind of like a trumpet upside down where the big bell is on the bottom and a small, small narrow part at the top. And they were metal. And so anytime a coin went in, you could hear it uh, go down into the treasury box. So these... Rich people, these many rich people, as we're told in verse 41, were coming and giving large sums. So here comes a coin, here comes another coin, here comes a whole bunch of coins and rattle and bang and boom. And here comes the big show of all the giving that they're putting in. And uh, the part of the temple where anyone could enter, including women. So there were some women giving and then some others giving, directly making their donations to God. And they were making coin Donations of silver and and gold. The treasury was the place that they were giving their donations. So that's clear from verse 41. We move on to verse 42. Something else Jesus notices as he sits there. Other people quietly and joyfully give to God sacrificially, knowing that God will take care of them. So verse 42, if you compare it to verse 41, has a very intentional, noticeable contrast. Verse 41 to verse 42. If you read from verse 41, these words, many rich people, large sums. In contrast to verse 42, a poor widow, small copper coins, penny. The contrast is very stark, very noticeable. Mark reveals to us here that this widow used the smallest possible amount of money in a coin in those days. It was such a small amount, it took two coins to add up to one penny. And here Jesus sharpened his teaching from the previous paragraph. If you remember, perhaps look back to verse 38, when Jesus was teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. One of the things that we are to beware of the scribes about, he then lists in verse 40. What do they do? 
they devour widows' houses. We talked about that last time. So the bad example of false teachers was that they would stoop so low as to even steal from widows. Incidentally, of course, the widow is the one that Jesus sees here giving. So that's the contrast. This godly widow, just like other godly widows, would themselves, out of their love for God, be glad to continue to keep providing meals to the scribes as much as they could possibly do. They would see it as their service to God to do so, taking care of the scribe of the word of God. Meanwhile, the scribe would be so glad to eat up all of her food until there's none left for her. You see the stark contrast. It just builds the more you think about it and study the words for us from verses 38 now to verse 44. What a contrast that Jesus himself is teaching between what's really happening is the scribe's taking and the widow's giving. That's the contrast. And the contrast is then broadened out to a large statement of the scribe's religion being a sham and the widow's religion being genuine. You can see all that. Jesus sees all that from what's happening in front of him and what he knows about the scribes. And he's teaching that, that aspect, that vision, that window to his disciples. Thus, from the main point, he's teaching his disciples that giving is a window into our hearts. It brings us to our third point where the bulk of the teaching is, verses 43 and 44. Jesus sees why we give. Verse 43 contains two signals now, two signals that we should take special note of what Jesus is about to say. Uh, This next statement about Jesus is significantly important, and we're given two ways to know that. Number one, Jesus called or summoned his disciples to himself. They hadn't been gathered, but he gathered them. This is a teaching moment, as we like to say in modern language. He saw something significant enough that he called for a class. Right now, right here, come. That tells us that he's about to teach something that's significant enough to call a class in order to teach it. And often rabbis in those days would summon their students when they had a lesson worthy of teaching. That's one signal. The second signal you'll see in the first words of Jesus in his little class. The first words of the beginning of Jesus' teaching is, truly I say to you. Whenever you see that statement, truly I say to you, you know that it's something marked as a significant statement from Jesus, a teaching point. He hasn't used that, or Mark hasn't recorded him using that phrase since chapter 3, verse 28. So It gives you an indication of just how rare or infrequent it is for him to say this phrase, truly I say to you. It's a way of underscoring it, a way of highlighting and underlining, of drawing our attention to this particular teaching as important. So with those two signals now telling us the importance of this, we get the content of Jesus' statement in verse 43. This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. These two words, I think, were drawn especially to are the words more than. It can't possibly be referring to the monetary value of the coins. If you compare to all the noise that the coins would be making of the gold and silver of the giant donations, these two coins were described as so small and so thin that it might not have been audible when the donation went in. 
It's certainly not talking about the monetary value when Jesus uses the words more than. It has to be referring to something else besides the purchasing power of the coins. And Jesus did explain what that something else is in verse 44. That all the other givers, quote, contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Here Jesus shows that the more than was in reference to the widow's self-sacrificing generosity. She became an example to all of God's people because she gave until it changed her ability to provide a living for herself, to get her basic needs to get through that day or that week. Jesus taught the opposite of what the disciples were accustomed to thinking. The reversal. Jesus taught what matters in God's sight is not the amount of the gift, not the amount of the donation, not the dollar value. Rather, it's how much is left over in your possession after giving and what that means about your heart. In other words, what matters to God is your heart devotion to God that causes you to move from comfortable giving to sacrificial giving. Really, ask yourself, what is it that causes a person to give at great personal cost? What drives a person to do that? Based on this measurement, the two coins that were both needed in order to amount to a single penny are now more than the large gold and large silver donations. There's something for us to grasp here that's revolutionary to our thinking about money and about God and about our own hearts. The wording of verse 44 doesn't let you wiggle out of this. It's so insistent. Verse 44 is the the gold of this, this passage. It's insistent and the point is driven home with considerable effort in the careful word choice of our Savior written down by Mark. Look first at this phrase, out of her poverty. See that phrase in verse 44? It's compared with something else. Out of her poverty is on her case, but it's compared with something else for others. For them, it is this phrase, out of their abundance. For her, out of her poverty. For them, out of their abundance. For each and every one of them, the amount that they gave would never be felt or never be missed because they had an abundance. They were not giving until they had nothing left. They were not giving until they had little left. They were giving comfortably so that they still had that abundance. They weren't feeling, they weren't missing the donation that they donated. But for her, in her situation, you see the contrast? It's growing the more you think about it. The emphasis of verse 44 is upon the fact that the amount she gave would be felt by her. How do we know that? Because the amount left over after she's finished giving must be accurately understood with three unavoidable and revealing words. Are you ready? Everything she had. 
We're not allowed to soon wiggle out of the starkness of her action or water down somehow with word gymnastics what Jesus must have meant as opposed to what he actually said. The verses insist that we not move on, that we not look away from the impact of these three words, everything she had. And that's not even the end of the verse. Jesus then confirmed and hammered home yet again with the final six words, all she had to live on. I read some commentaries in studying for this that said maybe that was just all of her current paycheck, but not all of her actual estate. That's going against what Jesus is clearly teaching. Everything she had, all she had to live on. And when we compare that to any one of the other donors, we see the failure of anyone else to do likewise as what this widow has done. Jesus is right to notice it. He's right to call for a class. This is rare. This is unique. It is a special event. And it makes us ask, why would she do that? And the answer is love. Love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And if you're doing that, it will come out in certain behaviors. This teaching sheds more light on what Jesus said a couple chapters ago to a rich man. Remember chapter 10, verse 21? This is what Jesus said to him. Think about that in the context of what we're studying now. Chapter 10, 21. You lack one thing, Jesus says to the rich man. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Mark 10, 21. Does this shed more light on what he's saying there? That rich man doesn't get it. That rich man doesn't love God more than his money. How about this widow? Would you say that she loves God more than her money? Do you see what Jesus is getting across to his disciples? And we remember the disciples themselves back in chapter 10, verse 28, uh, what they said through the mouth of Peter, quote, we have left everything and followed you. Peter and the disciples say to Jesus, There's another woman that we'll study in chapter 14, Mark 14, a number of chapters later than now, and she was not poor, quite the opposite. She apparently had enough money to obtain an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, which the Bible literally tells us there was very costly. And she took that flask and she broke the flask and poured it over the head of Jesus. And by doing so, Jesus' comment is that, quote, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Why would she do that? Answer, love. These two Christian sisters, Mark 12, widow, and Mark 14, woman with the oil, have some things in common and some things that differ. I just want you to think with me for a minute. 
One gave a gift that was large and costly. The other gave a gift that was so small that, to be truthful, it was worth almost nothing. Very large, expensive gift, worth almost nothing. There's a difference. Yet there's something in common with these two godly women. What's in common with both is not how much they gave. We've already covered that. What's in common is why they gave it to God. In both instances, the women had already given their hearts to God. And this was just the follow-through. The widow we're studying had already given her heart to God. She trusted him to care for her. And she was giving, perhaps, with the notion that those who don't have anything be given this, because then they'll have something to eat before bed. Maybe she knew what that was like. And then the woman with the expensive alabaster jar had figured out who this Jesus is. And how many people down through the centuries would have loved to trade places with her and to express their love for our Savior by being the one who has the privilege of pouring that pure nard on him over his head before he even dies to prepare him for burial. We see the love. It's just straight-up pure love these women have for God. Maybe just to help you see this in contrast to what it's not, let me tell you a quick story of the opposite. A man stands up in a meeting. I don't believe in these meetings, but I'll give you the story anyway. Uh, stands up in a, in a meeting where they're taking pledges for donations. Who wants to donate? We need so, so much for this fundraising thing. So would you please commit now during this meeting, these pledges, okay? So he, he stands up in the meeting and says, I'll give, I'll give, over here, I'll give. I want to give $100, anonymously, he says, <laughs> in the whole meeting. I tell that slightly funny story to help you see the contrast between the two women that we're studying, the widow in our passage and the uh, woman from chapter 14. What's the difference between these two godly women and this man of my story? His motivation was giving as a strategy to get praise. And he got all the praise he's going to get. These women's motivation was giving as an expression of praise. He was faking generous giving as a strategy to get attention, and she, in contrast, sacrificially giving as an expression of genuine praise to God. Which are we doing when we give? Why do you give? Have you ever given up something in order to give more? Sacrifice something that you would have enjoyed, could have enjoyed? Have you ever done without something in order to take the money you would have spent there and give it to a greater need, give it to a bigger cause? When we decide on our own, not under compulsion, but on our own, quite cheerfully decide to provide something meaningful to God's cause, his kingdom, missions, the expansion of his name. 
or something meaningful to another, a person who's suffering and needs that, something that's taken out of our own necessary provision. So we're dealing with less in order to provide that gift. What we're learning in this passage is that action is something that God notices and it's something Jesus commands as worthy of doing, worthy of teaching others to do. He holds a special class in order to draw the attention of his disciples to that sort of self-sacrificing giving. That's what we've learned in our pastors. The Lord Jesus reversed the perception of the disciples, teaching them that giving is a window into our hearts. Some people make a big production about giving a lot, yet they remain quite comfortable having a lot left over. Number two, other people quietly and joyfully give to God, sacrificially knowing that God will take care of them. And number three, Jesus sees why we give. It's so much more than he sees how much we give. He sees why. So in conclusion, I have two application points that I'll roll out a little bit here. Number one, because Jesus gave himself for you, give your heart to him. Uh, The best giver in the Bible is not this widow, chapter 12. It's not even the Christian sister we've mentioned in chapter 12. Those aren't the best givers in the Bible. The best giver in the Bible is Jesus himself, as he also said so clearly over in chapter 10, verse 45, that he came in order to give his life as a ransom for many. He literally gave his life for you unto death. That's the best giver ever. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Paul breaks out into a spontaneous little song. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The best gift ever from the best giver ever is Jesus for us. What does that mean for us then? We know that. That's the gospel news. What does it mean? It means we're being invited to give our hearts to God. Is it possible for a Christian to give himself or herself like Christ and to give in a Christ-like way, imitating this widow worthy of his commendation? Yes, it's possible. It's possible for a believer today to give like this. How do you do that? First, recognize that Christ gave himself for us. You have to understand that gospel news. He gave himself for us. We are first recipients. And then we reciprocate. We give our hearts to the Lord. Paul wrote about this to the church in Corinth in the famous giving chapter, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I'll just read the first five verses of verse eight of chapter 8, and I want you to listen for this phrase, gave themselves first to the Lord, and I'll explain. 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5. Did you, did you catch it? Did you notice? They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. If you give your heart, yourself first to God, 
Giving to others is just a natural follow-through. It's actually easy. (laughs) If you're struggling with giving, if you're convicted by all this, you're absolutely missing it. We have been given the best and the most and everything. And all we're being asked to do is recognize it, reciprocate, and give him our best and our everything. And the rest just kind of works itself out. We, We could ask, why did the widow give both of her coins? Why did Jesus mention both of the coins in his little class? Why did Mark write down for us both coins? He's so careful. See how many words he used to describe the gift? Verse 42, this poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. We often summarize this, the widow's might. You could have just said a penny. Why does he spell that out? Both coins. Because she could have kept one. She might have been able to find some day-old, two-day-old, three-day-old bread and had supper with the other coin. We see into her heart when we are told and are forced to look at her giving both coins voluntarily. There's something so beautiful here. There's something so rare here. Because of her decisions, she was left without the means to buy her very next meal. She had nothing left. What could she buy with? Rather than calling that irresponsible or impulsive or other demeaning sorts of ways to characterize what she did, Jesus draws special attention to it as a godly action that serves as an example to his disciples, an example to all of us as his future disciples. This widow had every confidence that her God would take care of her supper, her lodging, her clothing, her tomorrows. She had every confidence he would provide for her as he had always done before. She gave out of love because she knew she was loved. She didn't give out of fear. She wasn't trying to impress anyone or earn anything. She gave out of generosity, not out of calculations for self-preservation or how can I get the attention from the most people. She gave everything she had, and one of the things she had was her heart. She gave her heart. She just gave it to Jesus, gave it to God. She gave herself to God. That action is the most like Christ, who gave himself to God the Father in order for to be sacrificed to death to rescue us. The call of Christ in his gospel is a call to absolute surrender to God and total trust in him to provide for us. There's a qualitative difference in the way God looks at money from the way that people in the world look at money. So there ought to be a qualitative difference in the way that Christians look at money from the way that other people look at money. First uh, Samuel 16:7, "The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Do you really think God needs your money? 
It's not about us funding his kingdom and he ought to thank us. It's so wrong. Jesus was teaching his disciples to take their eyes off the amount given and taught them to have insight from the amount left over. The amount left over tells us how much trust there is between that donor and their God. The rich are still rich after they give very large donations. They could offload millions and still be filthy rich. This poor woman went from possessing precious little to possessing nothing after she gave all she had. Hers was truly sacrificial and extravagant giving. And it showed her as a person whose only hope, only trust, only security, only treasure is the Lord her God. Not rich in finances, down to zip, but rich in faith in God. Because Jesus gave himself for you, give your heart to him. That's my first and my second and last application. After we give our hearts to God, we must treat widows correctly. It's subtle, but it's a lesson here. If you go to verse 38 and verse 40 and then verses 41 to 44, it's clearly a theme here. The scribes were not doing it correctly. They were ripping off widows. How does Jesus treat the widow? See the contrast in how our Savior treats the widow. Now, the widow, I have to mention, is a category in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, often repeated, but it actually refers to those beyond just the official category of widow of someone who's unprotected, someone who's facing a need. You understand that. It's the needy person. After we give our hearts to God, we will treat the needy person correctly. This same Jesus who denounced the scribes for devouring widows' houses in verse 40 now shows by his own example how widows should really be treated. What's the proper attitude towards this widow? The passage teaches us by Jesus' example, one should help widows, one should commend widows whenever such commendation is appropriate or fitting. Psalm 68.5 says, God is the protector of widows. Exodus 22.23, God warns us about widows. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. You don't want to be on the wrong end of that, do you? Exodus 22.23, a fiery heart was inside of Jesus with regard to protection of this widow. Psalm 146.9, the Lord upholds the widow, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Deuteronomy 16.11, the widow is to be invited to join in the celebration of the harvest along with the family having a harvest celebration. Isaiah 1.17, God commands that his people plead the widow's cause. If she needs help, you get there and help. In the development of the early church, widows were not forgotten. In fact, the neglect of certain widows led to the appointment of another permanent set of officers in the church of Jesus Christ called deacons so that in the future the widows were insured to receive better care than they had been receiving when that problem erupted in Acts chapter 6, 1 through 6. And according to the Apostle James, one of the ways we know your religion is pure and undefiled is that you visit the widows in their affliction. James 1.27 So once again, the greatest teacher here 
launches not just a teaching about giving, but he repeats his teaching by his spirit guiding his, the writers of the New Testament throughout the New Testament, such as James 1.27 that I just referenced. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then in James chapter 2, the apostle goes on to describe the outlook of the godly person with regard to the rich and the poor, the greedy and the generous, the truly godly and the pretend godly. So, what were my application points? That because Jesus gave himself for you, give your heart to him, and then after we give our hearts to God, we'll treat the widows and the needy the right way. I end with a story. A Christian man was trying to teach all this to his young daughter. Uh, teach you about giving. Giving is a part of church worship. Um, so she brought her little purse to church. and uh, She was going to give all the money in her little purse. And uh, the father... Um, kind of reacted to that, and he, he told his daughter, he was trying to like, modify this teaching somehow, you're, you're going all out here, uh, sweetheart, you don't have to put in all the money from your little purse into the offering plate, you keep some for yourself for, for treats later this week, remember, we're going to the store for treats, and the daughter says this, I don't need money, I have a daddy. She say it just right for us? You can say, I don't need money. I have a Father in heaven. And it gives you license to be as generous as you could possibly be. You can't go wrong. You'll never be without. May God change the way we think about money. May we start with giving our own hearts to God. And as a result, may we have true joy in being generous to the cause of Christ and to anyone we find in need. Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for giving us your Son, the Lord Jesus.